When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Lockbox, a podcast providing real estate professionals with action items for success. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm going to be your host. I'm the founder of two real estate marketing and tech companies, Steezy.Digital and RealNurture.io. In this podcast, you'll learn from top 1% real estate and mortgage brokers the exact secrets to their success. Welcome to Lockbox. Welcome to Lockbox. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm here today with Nick Shaw. Nick, thanks so much for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff. Absolutely. So start it off, tell our listeners uh, who you are and where you're from. Hey, so I'm an entrepreneur right now. I'm focused on solving the homeownership crisis, the housing affordability crisis in America. And uh, currently I'm based in Marin County, California. Excellent. And what got you into real estate in the beginning? I, I, I'm curious about your like first interaction to the power of real estate. Yeah, my entry into real estate was more mission driven than anything else. Uh, you know, in my previous life, I was a management consultant and then a venture capitalist. And I used to work with all the large uh, financial institutions in, in the country to help them design better financial products. I worked with all the large retail banks, uh, Fannie, Freddie, you know, hedge funds that bought mortgage-backed securities and all the insurance companies that help you know, protect them by using um, CDSs. But, you know, what really got me interested in real estate, at least the homeownership side of real estate was, you know, my broader mission of helping people build wealth. And uh, for a third of the country, you know, homeownership has been the primary way in which they've built wealth, right? They don't necessarily own stocks. They don't necessarily own crypto. It's uh, primarily about just, you know, paying their mortgage off and, using that to build their wealth over time. And a big part of the country has been locked out of that. So in order to solve that problem and find a win-win solution, I got really interested in real estate, especially single family housing, which I believe is a highly undertapped asset class right now. Mm. Okay, interesting. So you came at it from a mission perspective, looking at empowering more Americans to be able to achieve the dream of kind of like financial security through home ownership. Because like you mentioned, the average American isn't super savvy with stocks. They aren't, you know, doing these crazy investments. They're they're making, I don't know, thirty to sixty or seventy thousand dollars a year and and they can pay off their mortgage. And they can. over third over thirty years, then they have a, a an asset. And so, you know, to, to, right. to start that, to start that be, is, is difficult because many, for many, it's difficult to get that down payment, right? 
That's right. That's so, right. And a large majority of them already have the income to be able to mm-hmm. afford a home. They just don't have the savings to buy mm-hmm. the home in the first place. You know, they're already mortgage ready. They're already paying off their landlord's mortgage today and taxes right. and fees and profit on top of it. Right. So right. why not pay off their own? Why make their landlord wealthier when they could be build their own wealth themselves? Well, absolutely. It's a powerful mindset shift. So before we dive into home.llc, I'd like to talk about your experience in college when you sold the startup. I have done many startups in my day. Uh, many of which have failed. I'm in the process of some ones that are successful right now, which is exciting. But man, I started a startup in college and I feel like it had so much potential and I just couldn't focus on it, like couldn't get the funding. You know, at that time, I wasn't resourceful enough to really dig deep and make it happen. So for you to sell, to successfully exit a startup in college is impressive to me. And I would would love to learn more about what that was like. Yeah, yeah. The the story is similar. It starts with a mission-driven approach, and, and you know, add a lot of luck into it, and ends up with a successful exit. So you know, this was uh, I was very entrepreneurial from the get-go, and uh, you know, in my freshman year of college, I really reflected on the pain it took me to select my major, and and this is all in India, and so we decided to launch a company that could predict. You know, which majors and which colleges would be available to you based on your standardized test score. Mm-hmm. Um, and that turned into an overnight success. We had like half a million people visit. We you know, got covered in all the newspapers. And this is within weeks of launch. Um, wow. And, uh, you know, we then created, we then started helping people also, you know, find the majors they want to. Uh, within a year, it was pretty successful. And I failed my first class ever. <laughs> So that prompted me to, you know, rethink, you know, what my long-term priorities were in life and, you know, know that there was only so much I could do from that. Uh, So we ended up selling it to, you know, one of the customers we were working with who was very interested in our product. Wow. What a cool product. (laughs) And obviously super useful because it took off right away. Absolutely. Yeah, I, th- I believe the fundamental basis for any long-term sustainable business model is solving a pain point. And if you're Absolutely. not solving a pain point, you're not really creating a long-term sustainable business. You can always uh, generate a buck from you know any craze or fad that's out there. But if it's not solving a long you know pain point, it's not a long-term sustainable business model. Yep. Absolutely. And that's another point that I've learned in my entrepreneurial journey. So when I started this agency, Steezy Digital, I came at it with the mission of helping top real estate professionals with their digital lead generation and follow-up. Because that's the biggest pain point. That's what they all complain about. They don't want to do, they struggled with, they don't have the time to set it up. They don't want to learn how to set it up. And they don't have the skills to set up the automation and and all of the drip campaigns and have it fire correctly. And when it breaks, how do I fix it? All that is is huge pain point for a high eye real estate professional that wants to be across the deal table with the client at all times, right? Absolutely. And, and they would love a personal concierge or like you who can help set everything up and get them effective and close more deals. So that's amazing. Yeah, precisely. And so yeah. that's that's the recent success of this latest business for me. Has, it was mission-driven, just like you mentioned. It solves a problem. So 
now let's talk about home.llc. You know, we talked about how home ownership is so close and I've even written successful ads that talk about renters. Hey, you're already paying 1500 to 2000 a month. Why don't you just start paying your mortgage? That's right. But that problem always is that down payment. So mm-hmm. why don't you tell a little bit about how home LLC solves that problem? Yeah. So home.llc provides down payment assistance. So, you know, people like you can reach 20% down and buy your home. You can start paying off your mortgage. You know, all the more, all the wealth you build by paying off your mortgage is yours, right? Now, if the home, you know, appreciates in value, when you sell it, you can share those, uh, that profit with us. If it loses value, you can share that loss with us. And if it sells for the same cost, we just get our original investment back and you still keep all the wealth you built by paying off your mortgage, right? So it's a win-win for everyone. And it helps you build wealth. It helps us get long-term exposure into real estate and it helps us fulfill our mission. So it's uh, we're, I'm incredibly grateful to be a part of uh, this process and you know be a part of helping people build wealth while achieving their American dream. Wow, what a program. And the terms are so fair as well. It's not like you're tacking on a huge interest or like a balloon payment or, you know, hiding anything in there. You're actually almost like co-signing and investing in the property with them. It would, it would kind of be like, it would be like if a, a sage-like grandfather or like a rich uncle helped a, a young married couple get their first place. And that's exactly like, how, yeah, hey, I'll, that's I'll, how, I'll put the down payment, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how our customers describe us as well, right? So yeah, we'll put the down payment, we'll front you up, up front so you can achieve your dream, uh, yeah. start living your life and, you know, avoid uh, being dependent on your landlord's whims and fancies, right? So yeah. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I love that. And it seems like also very non-competitive to real estate professionals, that's Meaning right. it, it actually can assist them to close more homes. Would you say that's, that's right. fair? That's absolutely right. Yeah, we work with a lot of brokers, a uh, lot of loan originators. I bet. We, yeah, as you can imagine, we are pretty upstream in the journey of buying a home. You know, customers tend to contact us first, realize that they can actually easily afford a home based on their current income, based on their current financial health, and they could just stop renting and buy it today. And that's when we reach out to agents to give them leads on, you know, who is going to buy a home pretty soon, as well as loan originators to tell them, you know, how we've already assessed their financial health and they've been easy fit into their lending program. So yeah, we do work with a lot uh, of brokers and originators right now. And we are also planning on building a national partnership with a national broker. So we can have a very streamlined standardized approaches to as to referring, you know, which broker should help out you buy a home, help you out buy a home. Right. Yeah, what what an amazing concept. The mortgage loan officer who has this new candidate that they already bought their first home, they can't do a 3.5% down again because the FHA won't qualify them. They're on their second home purchase, but they don't have that 10 or 20% ready to go. Would be lost deal, and then they call home LLC and that deal can now happen. Like, that's right. That's right. Yeah, we get a lot of those and, you know, we move very quickly on them to make sure they don't lose out on their home, especially in a hot market like this, right? Where absolutely. if you have a home and are pre-qualified, found a home and are pre-qualified, you want someone to help you out very quickly. And proof of funds matters. 
nowadays. I mean, you got to come to the table. Some places won't even let you in to tour the property unless you have a pre-approval letter and proof of funds sent to the, the listing agent. Absolutely. It's it's incredibly hard to buy a home with FHA loan these days. You know, most sellers love all cash offers. Uh, then of after that, they love 20% down offers or yep. higher. And maybe after that, they love other offers. But FHA takes forever to close. There are so many inspections and contingencies. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, buying a home with a low down payment is not as easy as it sounds. You need 20% down no. to be a serious home buyer. Absolutely. No. And uh, I'm experiencing that now with my wife. Luckily, we have the 20% to put down, but it's putting us at the the first or second offer considered in all the properties that we put offers in on. Because like you said, there's so many extra inspections. It's just when a, when a bank is looking at a loan where 96.5% of it is financed, that's a, a small margin for error. Right? That's right. If, if the market that's drops right. 10%, they're upside down and they're yeah. now exposed. So having that 20% is huge. And through Home LLC, you can help the potential home buyer that didn't have that to be able to come to the table with a 20% offer and be considered in the top one, two or three position. That's huge. right. And and next year, we are also planning to launch uh, an all cash offer program alongside this. Hmm. So it's not just 20% down. First, you, we'll help you secure the home by putting an all cash offer on your behalf. And then we'll help you buy it back from us at the same price, obviously. But making sure you can then you know get your, your paperwork and off or order and get financing done. Right now, there is so much incredible data available about real estate uh, nationally. And you know so many documents available that we really don't need 30 days of inspections and disclosures and analysis to you know close on a home so we can accelerate a lot of that through machine learning yeah that makes sense huh so i'm curious if this applies to multifamily as well it does apply to four unit like quadplexes uh maybe like five or six units you know from an investment standpoint would i be able to purchase a six unit in huntington beach and you know, have you guys put 500 down, I put like 200 down, and then we go in on this deal together? Yeah, yeah. So right now, we already support duplexes, triplexes, and quadplexes. So anything till four unit, you can buy with us. In fact, I recommend it, right? So you can live in a unit, rent out the others, you know, be cash flow neutral, and, you know, help others as well, right? So we actually recommend it for five plus units because it falls into commercial territory. We don't have a fully formed program around that yet, but we are planning to launch it pretty soon. The demand on that has been off the charts. As you can imagine, it's a win win for everyone so we are planning to launch a program to help you know people like you buy a five plus unit uh, property with less than you know with less than half the down payment required we can put in the other half we can even put in three-fourths of it and then Mm -hmm. you can keep the yield and we'll share the appreciation right no it makes sense it's almost like syndicating a property with a company rather than having to put a group of investors together and a lot of the smaller deals, unless they're your friend, it doesn't make sense to have to try to get all these investors together for like a six unit, you know? That makes more sense if you're doing like a 50 or like a hundred unit. But if you can just easily call up one company and you already know the terms and you find a good deal, boom, 
like that can help you with that down payment and you could actually be investing in more deals more rapidly as an investor. Absolutely. Absolutely. Plus, I mean, it's not just that. Uh, we, I mentioned machine learning and data before. We have this incredibly rich data of almost all of the properties in the country right now. So we can even advise you on which zip codes to buy, which neighborhoods to buy in, you know, places where there could still be future supply constraints, you know, limitations that might uh, avoid overbuilding of inventory in the future or might avoid mass delinquencies in the future uh, that could keep the, you know, that property appreciation afloat, even if the broader market isn't doing as well. So it's not just money. We can also provide you guidance on, you know, how to think about investing in the right place. Interesting. That's awesome. And I'm very intrigued on the commercial side. So in addition to owning a marketing agency, I am a commercial real estate broker and I help with five to 50 unit multifamily. So I'm right in that sweet spot of kind of where you're expanding into. And I'm very interested to keep in touch and learn more either for my own personal investments or for potential investors that I find a deal for. And maybe they're, they're not willing to put 600,000 down, but they would put two or 300,000 down and, and you know, you'd be a solution to help bridge that gap Absolutely. and quickly get those deals funded. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk more maybe around Q2, Q3 next year when we launch this program. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be in touch about that. So now I, I would like to talk about, you know, some of your entrepreneurial habits that have created pretty consistent success. I mean, of course, there's ups and downs, but I'm curious, what's the single most important action that you take on a daily basis, which has attributed most to your success? I believe there are only two hacks in life. It's, you know, working out and meditating. Mm. That's true for entrepreneurship as well, right? I think uh, breaking a sweat whenever you want, whether it's early in the day and sometime in the afternoon or late in the evening, really allows you to, you know, it has so many incredible benefits. I I can't even start going into it, right? It's it's a hack, basically. It's a no-brainer. And it's the same with mindfulness as well, right? As entrepreneurs, we're dragged into so many things at, you know, at a go, right? We have to not just plan about the five, 10 year future, but also plan about how we're going to make payroll for the next month, as well as what we need to get done this week or this month and reflect on our mistakes of the past to make sure we're not making them again. Right. So our mind is dragged into so many different time perspectives that it really helps to be in the moment. And I think meditation is just a workout for the mind, right? And I think these mm-hmm. two hacks are so incredible. I, I highly recommend them. On, on top of these two, if you manage your eating habits well, you know, you're going to succeed no matter what, right? You're going to find a way to succeed no matter what. Everything else you can figure out, right? Every, you, you'll eventually find a pain point that's important enough for a customer that's willing to pay for an investor that's willing to bet on you for a team that loves working with you. You're going to find all of those things. That's just a matter of time, energy, patience, and grit, and obviously some intelligence and a lot of luck. But meditation, working out, and eating healthy will help you get there no matter what. Mm. Such an interesting point and one that's rarely talked about is meditation. You know, some of my guests have talked about waking up early, working out or working out whenever you want to make sure it's a four or five times a week habit. But meditation plus working out, it really is a hack. And at times in my life, I've been more committed to the meditation part than others. And during those times, I have so much more patience. I feel like I walk through life with more grace. I feel like my mind is more oxygenated and it's able to operate on a frequency that can identify opportunities and solve problems faster, better. And it's 
so interesting that despite all those benefits, it's so easy not to do it. Yeah. Right. It's easy to do and it's easy not to do. And all of a sudden those benefits kind of slip away and you fall back into what your normal is without meditation. So to, to take that one level deeper, is this a daily habit? And like, how long are you meditating? And at what time of day for you? Yeah, so I don't necessarily think of meditation as that 5, 10, 15 minute zone where I'm not thinking on anything. I just think about it as a 5, 10, 15 minute practice for how I should be for the rest of the day, right? So if I'm Hmm. able to be mindful for the rest of the day, it's working for me, right? If there are days where, you know, I'm just mindlessly wandering in the future or in the past or in whatever emotion I find myself caught up in, then I need to start training my mind again. And that's where that daily meditation schedule kicks back in. Uh, But for me, it's just training your mind to achieve that state of being in the present, right? Because we can constantly think about something else. And, you know, thinking is kind of addictive, right? I mean, you can get lost and either be really happy or really sad or really anxious and be lost in that thought. But whatever you're going to do, you're only going to do it in the present. And that's what matters the most, right? And that's Mm -hmm. where training your mind you know, doing it just enough time so you feel like you can be in the moment effortlessly is the real hack. It's true. And I like how you kind of reframe it. You don't, it doesn't have to be this Zen-like moment where you don't think of a single thought because your mind is going to generate thoughts. It's what it was designed to do. And by the way, those thoughts are designed to keep you alive. It's a survivalist mechanism. So right. it's it, it's going to happen. But I like how you you just reframe it of, doesn't have to be me not thinking and breathing deeply and crossing my legs and with a straight back like it doesn't have to be the stigma of what meditation is for you meditation as you said was i am setting my intention to be the person that i want to be for the rest of the day as Mm -hmm. mindful and as caring and as confident and as whatever you want it to be for the rest of the day i'm for this 10 15 minutes i'm going to be that person that's right i really like that i really like that that's Mm -hmm. awesome so, and for meditation and working out, I recommend if you're not able to do it, then set a very, very, very low bar. Like my bar every day is two minutes of meditation and two minutes of working out. Like if I just sit in my car and drive to the mm. gym and enter for two minutes, my goal is my task is done. Like my bar is very low. And most times, guess what happens? I, I probably, you know, I have some of the best workouts in my life, right? Hit per hit person records and everything. It's the same with meditation. Don't shoot for a perfect lift or a perfect run or a perfect bike ride or a perfect mm-hmm. meditation session. If you can squeeze in two minutes, do it. Uh, just today morning, I was running late and I barely had 20 minutes before my next call started. Just put my shoes on, did 15 run, came back. I felt accomplished. And for the rest of the day, I feel great. But tomorrow, it's going to be easier, right? So, Yep, that's another great mindset hack. You don't have to do 100 push-ups if you just get on the ground in the push-up position. Chances are that's enough. And you'll do as many as your body can do at that time. And then your blood will be pumping and you'll be in a different physical state, which will create a different mental game towards, okay, what's next? But to break from from the lethargy of not moving it's it's uh what is it newton's uh one of newton's philosophies is like an object in motion stays in motion yeah. and, Until and external also, force or action is applied upon it yeah it's not right. of inertia yeah inertia and and then also an object not in motion right will like try to not stay not in motion and so 
to break that inertia and keep, create the momentum, sometimes it just takes that simple decision for the first step. And then boom, now you've, be, you've begun the journey. So, you know, talking about momentum and entrepreneurship, I found that the entrepreneurial roller coaster is, is one that many entrepreneurs or real estate professionals experience. They get really excited. Maybe it's like a conference or a particular sales meeting with their sales manager. They make a bunch of phone calls, they have a bunch of appointments, and then all of a sudden they're busy with deals. They close the deals, they get the check, but guess what? They stopped doing the things that got them all the deals and now their income went like this and then it goes back down to the bottom, right? Mm-hmm. So, talking about momentum and avoiding the entrepreneurial roller coaster, do you have any success habits or tips on how to look at maintaining consistent progress over a long period of time? Yeah. So, you know, I've experienced this before as well um, in my previous career as a management consultant. You know, you walk in to a room as a 20-something-year-old and you're advising the CEO or a CXO of a Fortune 100 company, right? And such a, a wild upswing. And then the next week, you're stuck at the airport not doing anything and just trying to question you know, what you're really doing in life. It's a, such a wild downswing, right? And I used to be really bad at this until mentor explained to me in a very good way and i've followed it since it says you know life is going to be like a sine wave right there are going to be massive ups and downs no matter what you do uh, that sine wave may be trending upwards which means overall every year you may be making massive progress or it may be trending downwards as well but there will still be ups and downs along the way what's really critical is projecting a straight line right is tampering that sine wave inside you and projecting that straight line. So people around you who use your energy to decide how to talk to you and what to talk to you about, don't make decisions based on where you are in your sine wave, right? It doesn't affect Mm. the uh, productivity and performance of your team, of your customers, of your investors around you. Uh, we are always going to face that sine wave. I mean, we are always going to have you know higher highs and lower lows in entrepreneurship. Every you know deal we win seems like the best one yet, and a week after we're chasing them, you know, an even bigger one, right? Um, and sometimes it feels like you know it all doesn't just doesn't make sense, but projecting it outwards needs to be completely separate, right? It needs to be that relatively straight. I don't need to be a poker-faced person all the time, but you just need to thoughtfully decide how much of that high you want to project or how much of the low you want to project out. And the more you can tamper down that sine wave and make it a straighter line and make things around you more productive, more easier, more useful, right? Now, internally, how you deal with it is still, I'm still working on it and I don't really have a good solution to it yet. So I'm still trying to understand how I deal with my sine wave internally. Interesting. Great tip where you kind of like aggregate the sine waves line of where it's going and that's what you project the world. And then as far as dealing with it internally, one statement that I really like from Darren Hardy that has helped me in this regard is that high achievers are usually very critical of themselves. So they might be the highest achieving person in the room, most income, but because they didn't hit some lofty goal, they're hard on themselves. Mm. And so instead of when someone compliments you, you kind of like, oh yeah, I could have done better. You, you go into the negative instead of that. Mm. 
you can say, thank you. Not quite where I want to be yet, but I'm mm -hmm. getting better every day. I love it. I love it. I, you know, it resonates with something I've been, uh, so I read a book on self-compassion lately, and it's exactly that, right? It's just, you know, how to be more compassionate towards ourselves, because we're so extremely critical of ourselves yeah. internally, right? So right. critical, just because we are so ambitious, right? And that ambition is fueling criticism, because we know the more we're critical of ourselves, the more we push ourselves and the more we can achieve. And it's only our goals that set the direction of everything around us, right? What we say, how we do it, how we project it, and how we set timelines and resources onto it activates this whole machinery that makes it possible. So yes, you know, self-criticism has helped us a lot, but it also hurts a lot mentally, right? And it creates these lower lows uh, that you know really impact us. So so being more compassionate, right? Being accepting, being you know acknowledging that you know sometimes we are doing an incredibly good job right is helpful i agree i think that's a really good tip Jeff. thank you thank you and uh credit to darren hardy you know he has some yeah. some great great one-liners and some great mindset tips so yeah look him up yeah i'm curious it, like what are one to three books that have greatly influenced your life or career so i would say the first one is uh jobs to be done uh so this was written by Anthony Ulwick. And, uh, you know, I think this is the fundamental theory that impacts, uh, you know, the broader theory of disruption uh, of corporate innovation and of launching products in general, right? And jobs to be done tackles that very question that I mentioned earlier, right? Like if you cannot do a job for a customer, right? If you are not solving the pain point, you're not really creating a product, right? The product can have all the right technology behind it, all the right hardware, software, or, you know, extremely efficient, uh, you know, analytical insights behind it. But if it's not solving the job, right? If it's not doing the job, if it's not solving the problem, it's not going to be a successful product. I mean, you see a product like Zoom with a very bad website right but that does one job really well which is it does not have any uh, lag in video which even when microsoft bought skype for eight and a half billion dollars uh, was an issue right so it did that one job well and everything else doesn't matter how their website looks or who their customer rep is or who their ceo is or what their internal culture right versus if you see a company like skype they've been doing it for lots and lots of years but they didn't do their one job well which is you know easy video during calls right everything else was fine so that jobs to be done theory and the book by anthony Ulrich, it's a very tiny book but it's a massive impact on you know hmm. just broader entrepreneurial passions then i think ben horowitz's hard thing about hard things right i think it's the ultimate bible on entrepreneurship uh it's the whole title is the hard thing about hard things and ben has this really good way about writing this book uh where he describes you know various scenarios that could and in, that happened in his whole own entrepreneurial journey that applied to a lot of entrepreneurs today. And that really uh, influenced me a lot. And I think the last one I would say is anything on stoicism, right? That stoicism is that straight line you project outwards. It's how to tamper that sine wave. Uh, being a stoic is not about being emotionless. It's about only 
you know, thinking about things and focusing on things that you can control and then ignoring everything else because you just simply cannot control it. And I think that's extremely critical, right? And as we want to literally move the world with our ideas and our approach and, you know, our thinking, being a stoic is extremely critical, right? So it allows us to laser focus our energy on things that we can truly control and generate output out, out of it rather than spending hours and hours worrying or thinking or planning about things that we have no control over. Mm, I like that. Both great book suggestions. And I'll have to add those to my reading list. I like the stoicism kind of uh, approach. From yeah, I mean, there's so many the books things. there. Yeah, Marcus Aurelius is, is the, I think, one of the original uh, you know, authors behind that. But I believe there have been a lot of books out on on recently, and they all talk about the same approach, which is just focusing on things that you can't control. Right. Yeah. And that is a powerful concept for sure. Yeah. So is there a question that I should have asked you, or is there anything that you'd like to expand upon from earlier? I think we can maybe dive deeper into, you know, the longer term, my longer term outlook on real estate, like how we use data to think about real estate long term, um, yeah, what the do. state of the market is right now and all that. Yeah. Give us your, you know, your future projections of, you know, what's going on right now and then what you see in the next, I don't know, five or 10 years in real estate and what your vision is. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. So, you know, as you know, right now, the real estate market is incredibly hot, right? Home prices have grown by you know, teens to low 20 percentages year over year. Uh, yep. The entire country is hot. Austin's red hot. Boise's jalapeno hot, right? Everything's super hot. And the primary reason behind this is we have a massive supply-demand mismatch right now, right? Demand is incredibly high because rates are at an all-time low. And people are looking to buy a home, right? A home has been the safest place there could be during a pandemic right so the desire to own a home to have a yard to have a separate uh, spot for your home office has grown rates are low and on the other hand supply has been incredibly low right after the 08 crash a lot of uh, new supply stopped coming to the market a lot of builders got burned uh, you know a lot of um, Projects were left midway and never restarted. And a lot of permits didn't get issued uh, for building new homes. So supply has been trending low for the last 10 years and it's really impacting us right now. And because of this the market super hot, I think long-term uh, the market will decelerate over the next couple of years, but it will keep growing no matter what. I, we, I, we have a team of economists and data scientists and quantitative analysts that obsess over real estate data. You know, we analyze over a thousand variables for all the cities and neighborhoods and zip codes that we track. And for most of them, we are pretty optimistic. We're pretty bullish. Uh, there are so many, you know, neighborhoods across the country that are incredibly supply constrained. Like think about the San Francisco Bay Area or Boston or Manhattan as an example. You might see new construction go up every once in a while, but the cost of building something new is so incredibly high there. It takes so long that even the replacement cost, which is the cost of adding a new unit is really high, right? right. And they just have natural geographic supply constraints. On top of that, they have zoning constraints. And on top of that, they have this army of NIMBYs around that 
just don't like new housing build around them, especially multifamily housing, right? Uh, dense housing. So, you know, for the supply constraint areas, we might think, you know, people are fleeing the Bay Area, people are fleeing New York. And part of that is true. There has been domestic net migration out of some cities. But overall, the population there has still been stable or growing, mostly due to birth rates and international inbound migration. So, you know, and, and even if population declines, which has been the case in New York, for example, wages have grown at such a quick rate that wage growths have, you know, superseded population decline, which has been very minimal. Uh, so, for example, people who are moving into the city have much higher wages than people who are leaving the city. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, now, if you take about you talk about specific cities like Austin and Atlanta and Phoenix, uh, we are very cautiously bullish about them. The primary reason is, yeah, you know, Austin is one of the highest job growths in the country right now. The per capita income growth is also one of the best in the country right now. More people have moved to Austin than any other city, not just this year, but last year as well. But Austin is also surrounded, except West Austin, almost all of it is surrounded by farmland, right? Where new supply is very easy to build and, you know, uh, permits are being given away like candy right now. Right. I, I think last year, Austin issued like 45,000 building permits. The year before it was close to 15,000. So they almost 3x. And this year, I think they're on track to issue more than 75,000 building permits. And on top of it, the tax regime uh, states that, you know, if your home price increases, your cost of owning the home increases too, right? Unlike California, where there are laws that limit how, you know, how much your property taxes can increase by. So because of all of these headwinds uh, in markets like Austin, in Phoenix, in Atlanta, where there's so much incredible supply coming to market, they're very cautiously bullish on them. Yeah, home prices will keep growing, but if there's a black swan event, a recession, we think that home prices could crash there harder in the rest of the country because of all this unsold inventory in the market that's coming mm-hmm. online right now. Yep, I agree. I agree. And what I was going to say in the beginning of your description of the future was, so moral of the story, prices aren't going down anytime soon. But you mentioned the black swan. And that's something that I have talked extensively with my real estate network as well as with my wife about, you know, we're about to buy. And the question is, are we about to buy at the top of the market? And then the bottom falls out and we lose 30% equity in a month. And in, then, then we're in 2009 again, where you just hold on to it for, you know, the next years. 10 years. Because yeah. Yeah, now, now what are you going to do? Sell it? No. So, uh we're curious about that, but for all of the tailwinds that you mentioned, for lumber costs tripling, for you know the new inventory that is being built coming out more expensive than the previous houses, there's so many reasons why you know the housing market will continue to go up. That you know we're not going to hold our life up for a potential catastrophe, which may or may not happen. So you got to move on. Got to make a decision, but. Great point. I do agree that these emerging markets, these exploding markets, the Boise's, the Austin's, they will be hit the hardest if there is a turn. And that's what I always tell investors about California. I'll talk to investors and they're like, oh, cap rates are so compressed. Like you're looking at a three cap in California. And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, it's not a 12 cap, you know, in out of state or a 15 cap or something like that. But in a downturn, Guess what is one of the strongest markets in the entire nation? Southern California. 
That's right. It, it has one of the lowest decreases in property value. And some of those exploding emerging markets with the really high cap rates get crushed. So right. hedge your bets, right? You can have some, some of those in your portfolio that are in those emerging markets, but you can also have some really high value because all the deals out here are you know, more expensive. You can have some high value assets out here that are stable and consistent. So yeah, yeah. And I think modeling for the next 10 years, you know, we we are also looking at things like hurricane risk, tsunami risk, flood risk, fire risk. But one of the other risks we are looking at is also climate risk. And we are not just looking at flooding. I mean, that is the most common thing that people think about when they think about climate change. It's actually global temperatures rising, which will lead to more wet bulb more heat and that will cause you know, more issues so for example uh, we use the rcp 4.5 model which is the intermediate model for climate change it's not super conservative it's not super aggressive and right now i, I believe miami has an average of nine days above 100 degrees every year we're projecting that to go up to 100 days above 100 degrees by 2030 wow right that's just the heat increase right so Texas and Florida seem really good right now, but, and they have population increase, you know, no state taxes, good cap rates, all that. But really think about when you're going to sell this property in the next 10 years and 10, 31 into your next one, you know, is there going to be an incredible amount of heat around and combined with humidity, that's a pretty terrible condition to live in right? That might compress, uh, that might hurt uh, your return down the line, right? Eventually you're buying appreciation, right? The yield is just a way to, you know, survive. Appreciation is what you're really in for. Most, you know, family offices that have been real estate for very long term don't even worry about yield anymore. They just care about appreciation potential and downside, you know, That's how they can lower the downside risk, right? And Yeah. Yeah. Land is really what appreciates too. That's right. Land is the only thing that appreciates. Yeah, probably yeah, you, depreciates you, constantly. You depreciate the property on your on your tax returns, right? <laughs> so right. land is is really what's gaining value. And something that fascinates me is purchasing land outside of booming cities like Austin that are farmland, and then waiting for it to be zoned, subdivided, and then sell it. You know, buy it wholesale and then sell it piece by piece or to a developer after it's been zoned. Land flipping is very intriguing to me. I don't know too much about it. I have a few people in my network that know a lot more, but primarily their market is Southern California. So I'm curious to meet more people like that in exploding markets like Boise, Austin, um, you name it, you know, Orlando, Florida. There's, there's so many around the nation that, you know, there's actually a hedge fund in Canada that basically that's their strategy, not mm. to, uh, give it away. But I mean, if you don't know what you're doing, you can't exactly replicate what they're doing anyway. So it doesn't really matter. They purchase land outside of cities and hold it for 10 years and then sell it, you know, mm. 10 years later at a huge appreciation after it's been zoned and they sell it in 200 single family zoned parcels. And it was previously a, you know, a 2000 acre piece of land, the bra. So fascinating. Yeah. So smart. I yeah. would love I would love to learn from them too. Let me know when you interview them. I'd love to listen to that podcast. Okay. Yeah, cool. So with that, uh, how can listeners contact you? This has been a great yeah. episode and I want to make sure that they know how to get in touch with you. Yeah, if they're interested in getting, you know, down payment assistance, they can go to www.home.llc. And if they want to reach out to me to invest in, you know, single family housing and get exposure to, you know, long-term appreciation, they can send me an email at ceo at home.llc. 
Awesome. Nick Shaw, everyone, CEO of Home.LLC, offering down payment assistance and making the dream of home ownership possible for so many additional Americans. Very mission-driven. I appreciate being connected with you now and having you in my network. And I think that this podcast will be highly valuable because a lot of my listeners are top real estate brokers, top mortgage professionals. And now they have another option if they're working with a buyer that doesn't have that down payment that can get them the house in today's competitive market. So thank you so much. I appreciate you and have a fantastic day. Thanks, Jeff. Love being here. Thank you for listening. If you want to accomplish your real estate goals, then I highly suggest downloading my free Ultimate Real Estate Goal Setting Framework. The link is in the description of the show and it will help you break down your annual income goal into the amount of phone calls, appointments, or open houses you need in order to achieve that goal. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.